Looks kind of nice, huh? On hot days like this in July, the hottest month of the year, the last thing that anybody is worried about is a blizzard. But it's a blizzard I want to warn you about today. Uh, The blizzard I'm talking about is a blizzard that I personally have been hit by many times in my Christian life, and I've been trapped in before in my Christian life. The blizzard is made up of questions and objections that come to my mind right about the time that God is calling me to trust him and obey him in a deeper way. I'm a Christian, and I've been a Christian since 2001. Um, Some of you are Christians, some of you are not. Some of you are in between trying to figure out this whole thing about God and Christianity. And if you are here and you're checking God out, we're just glad that you're here. Welcome. But I became a Christian in 2001. Because God did a really great thing for me. He, he, he saved me from a lot of things in my life that were enslaving me. Things that were broken, he fixed. Things that looked like I would never have them again, he gave them back. He restored relationships. God did a really great thing for me. He was good to me when I trusted him. And as, as Christians, we have come to know the love of God. We, we've seen in the scriptures how God, in his love for the human race died for our sin, that that our God, Jesus Christ, became a man and that he emptied his life so that I could be made full, that on the cross he died for the sin that I've committed, a life lived in rebellion to God and the death and the, 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 the punishment and the hell that I deserved, he took. He did this so that I could have a relationship with God forever, that you could have a relationship with God forever. So that all those people out that window could have a relationship with God forever. And more than that, God has been good to us. He's provided for us in amazing ways. He's protected us from things that could have really harmed us. And as we've walked with God in our life, we've seen his good plan for our life. And when you have walked with God and you've known God, him really in your life, you just, you can't help but want to respond in gratitude. Out of love, you want to respond back to God. And the way we do that is by loving God back with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. The way that we repay God, if we could repay God, is to trust and obey him. That's right to do. He's our father. He's brought us into his family. And as children of God, it's right that we trust and obey him. And so as a Christian over the last 15 years, I've really tried to get to know God better and obey God and walk with God as many of you have. But what I've noticed in my life as as I'm walking with God and I'm beginning to read the Bible and I'm beginning to, to hear God speak to me through this book and he's telling me what he wants me to do, he's showing me where he wants me to go, how he wants me to live, right about the time I'm going to trust God, I get hit by a blizzard of unbelief, a blizzard of questions that, that frees my faith and make me shrink back from what God is calling me to do. And in the past, I've been caught by these blizzards, and I've missed out on the protection and the plan and the provision that God has for me. And so over the next couple weeks, this week and over the next three weeks, I want us to look at some of the common blizzards that can hit you as you're walking with God in life. What's behind them and how you can unfreeze your faith with God's help so that you can live a life of faithfulness back, a life of love back to the God who is faithful and loved you. Now, as I've walked with God, and as I've looked into the scriptures, and as I've walked with many of you, as I've been a part of Church in the Valley over these last several years, I've noticed some patterns to when I get hit by these blizzards of unbelief. 
what I've noticed is that God is constantly calling me into deeper faith, into some, some common areas. God is calling me to make him my authority. He wants me to make him my authority, to trust him and his word as the most credible source of information in my life. He wants me to take the Bible, and as I read it each day, and I begin to hear what he's saying, he wants me to begin to put what he says into practice, into my life. And what I've noticed is, is that oftentimes, what God says in the Bible, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. This book doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with what I think and what I know and what my family told me and what my culture teaches me. It doesn't make sense. And when God calls me to make him my authority, behind it is really this question, can I really trust the Bible? Can I really trust this book as a credible source of information on every area of life? I mean, can I really stand on it? Or is it all going to come crashing down? Another area in my life where God has called me to trust him more is to make him my priority. When you become a Christian and you enter into this relationship with God, he has loved you with everything he has, and he wants us to love him back with everything we have. And what that means is, practically, there are things that are important to me that I love, that I've wrapped my heart around. There's lifestyles that I have and thinking that I have and and things that I've made my identity. And when I begin to read God's word and I begin to see what he wants me to do, I'm going to have to give up some of those things that I love because I love God more. God's going to change my priorities. And when he does, it's scary because behind it is this question. Can I really put God first? Can I really put him, his kingdom and his people first and still be happy in life? Can I really live this way and still be happy in life? Or will I be left holding the bag? So God calls me to make him my authority and my priority. And when that happens, these blizzards of unbelief, they blow and they make it hard for me to hear God like a blizzard and see God's path like a blizzard. And they freeze me in my place like a blizzard. And if I'm not careful, I can get stuck there for months, for years and miss the things that God wants for me, my family and my community. And the third area that you're going to constantly be tested by God, he's going to be calling you into deeper faith is making God your ability. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I, I, I get it. I know what he's asking me to do. I think it's right. I want to do it. But how am I going to do it? I can't. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources or the knowledge or the time or the money. I mean, how in the world am I going to do what you're asking me to do? It's not just me, God. There's all these other people involved. They're not going to change. How, how's it going to work? God is calling me to make him my priority, but if I put him first in this area, who's going to pay for my family? Who's going, to, who's going to help me do what I need to do? How's it going to work? And the but how blizzard blows against me, and the net effect of it is, is it freezes my faith and makes me doubt God. And I back away, I'm unfaithful to God, and I miss out on the good that he has for me. These blizzards, they blow constantly against us as Christians in our Christian life. And many of you have been hit by them in the past, and some of you are caught in them right now. In your Christian life, there are things that have not happened the way you wanted. You want to experience God's presence and his power and his protection. You want to see God in your life, but there are just things you're not willing to do. And that is because these questions, these objections have hit you, and you've never gotten answers. And so you become frozen in your faith in key areas in your life. And we're going to look at how to unfreeze your faith and what's behind these blizzards because God wants to help us. Today, we're going to look at the first blizzard, the but what about blizzard. And the reason why we're looking at this is you can be confident as a Christian that every time God calls you to trust and obey, a blizzard is on the way. 
Give it time. It's going to begin to blow. And if you don't get answers to these questions, it can just lock you down. And so the first, the first blizzard of unbelief is the but what about blizzard. And I, I think all of you, including myself, have probably been hit by some of these but what about questions. And what these questions do is they make me doubt this book. Yeah, it's true, but I can't really build my life on it. Here's a common but what about question. And if, you, if, you, if I go through some of these and you're like, I thought that, that's a common but what about question I've wrestled with, I want you to write it down because I have some things later on in this message that I think you can do to get unfrozen by this question. The first and most common but what about question that I've seen, particularly as I've worked at a high school and worked with the high school here at Church in the Valley, is, but what about all the science that disproves the Bible? I mean, I want to trust and obey God, but what about all the science that disproves the Bible? I mean, isn't science about fact and knowledge and reason and evidence and faith is just about belief, you know? It's just about belief and, and just, it's all subjective. I mean, hasn't science shown that most of the Bible is just not true? I remember when I first became a Christian in 2001, I had that thought constantly. And it was always right about the time I was going to step out in faith. And then, boom, but what about science and religion? What about what your teacher told you back in high school? What about this? And what about that guy you heard online? And you get hit by this question. And, you know, I'm not a scientist. And and some of these guys, they're so confident that science is over here and religion is over here and neither the two shall meet. Like this guy. His name is Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's a writer, he's a doctor, he's a, he's a scientist, a professor, and he travels the world. He's a rock star telling people how religion and science, they have nothing to do with each other. And you hear a guy like this with the confidence that he has, and it makes you think, man, I can't build my life on this. Listen, listen to this uh, objection he makes. People who make this case that that was the beginning and that there had to be something that provoke the beginning? Do you give them an A at least for trying to reconcile faith and reason? Um, I don't think they're reconcilable. What do you mean? Well, well, so let me say that differently. All efforts that have been invested by brilliant people of the past have failed at that exercise. They just fail. And so I don't, I, I don't, the track record is so poor that going forward I have essentially zero confidence near zero confidence that there would be fruitful things to emerge from the effort to reconcile them. So, for example, if you, if you knew nothing about science and you read, say, the Bible, the Old Testament, which in Genesis is an account of nature, that's, that's what that is, and I said to you, give me your description of the natural world based only on this you would say the world was created in six days and that stars are just little points of light, much lesser than the sun. And in fact, they can fall out of the sky, right? Because that's what happens during, during the um, revelation. One of the signs that yeah. the second coming is that the stars will fall out of the sky and land on earth. So it's even right that means you don't know what those things are. You have no concept of what the actual universe is. So everybody who tried to make proclamations about the physical universe based on Bible passages got the wrong answer. (laughs) So what happened was when science discovers things and you want to stay religious or you want to continue to believe that the Bible is, is unerring, what you would do is you would say, well, let me go back to the Bible and reinterpret it. Then you'd say things like, oh, they didn't really mean that literally. They meant that figuratively. So this whole sort of reinterpretation of the 
fig, how figurative the poetic passages of the Bible are, came after science showed that this is not how things unfolded. Wow. He's so confident. I mean, I'm not a scientist. A guy like that, he's not, there's no wiggle room. This book is nonsense. And he's not just one guy. I mean, there's just thousands and thousands of celebrities and, and academics and, you know, people in our, in our business world who just, they look at the Bible, they think if you take this thing seriously, you're crazy. Because science says. And, you know, if you don't get an answer, if you don't check out what this guy's saying, that can just sit there and freeze your faith and cause you to miss out on what God wants you to do because you're not going to take out a step in obedience. You're not going to do what God tells you to do because, well, how can you really trust this book? Another objection, another but what about Blizzard that has frozen millions of people's face is a question about justice. It's but what about all the suffering and pain in this world? What about all those people who have died at the hands of tyrants? What about all those people who have been killed by natural disasters? What about all the evil and suffering in this world? I mean, I thought the Bible says that God is powerful and good and knowing and all-knowing. If he knows everything, if he's good, if he's loving, if he's powerful, then why doesn't he do something about it? And so we have this question. We don't get the answer. And it freezes our faith. This is what happened to Steve Jobs. When Steve Jobs was young, his family was a part of a Protestant denomination. He went to his pastor one day, held up his finger. Hey, pastor, did God know I was going to do that? Yeah, God knows everything, the pastor said. And then he pulls out Life magazine that month. And the picture is this. The children who were victims of a civil war in Africa, bellies distended, bodies maimed by this war. Did God know about these kids? I mean, if God knows about this, why doesn't he do anything? And that was the day that Jobs walked away from Christ. Because his faith was frozen by this, but what about evil question? He didn't get an answer. There are answers, but he didn't get it. And that was it for him. Another but what about question that you may be experiencing is you begin to read the Bible and God is calling you to take a step. It may be something he wants to change in the way that you behave or think or act. He gives you a command that doesn't seem to line up with the values and morality and thinking and teaching of your culture. It's not very popular. It may be intolerant according to your day and age. And when you're about to trust God and obey him in this area, you get this thought in your head. Isn't that just the Old Testament God? But what about all those backwards Bible verses, you know, on sex and marriage and hell and sin? I mean, isn't that just the Old Testament God and the New Testament God is a God of love? I mean, isn't that just like the time when God was all wrath and judgment? And, and, and isn't Christianity just about loving people? And so what this question ultimately does is it makes you not obey God in this particular area he's calling you to. Because this but what about question flies in your mind, it freezes your faith, and it causes you to back away. Now, for all of these questions, there are answers, good, solid, satisfying answers, but most of us don't have them. And so these questions hit us, they freeze us, and we miss what God wants to do. And some of these questions you've been hit by, and for some of you, you're still frozen by them. And all of us will be hit by them in the future if we're trying to walk with God and obey him. So what's behind the blizzard? There's a couple things behind the blizzard. The first thing is sincerity. One of the things that's generating the wind and the ice and the cold is sincerity. We just sincerely don't understand what God is saying in the Bible. It does not make sense to us. We're Americans. You know what I mean? We have American minds. And we read this book, and it's sometimes, you know, it's great, makes sense, love your friends and enemies, and okay, I can, I can do that. But then it's like, wait, what? What? And it doesn't make sense. And we can't make ourselves believe this. You can't make yourself believe something. 
And so we, we sincerely don't understand. And you know what? If that's you, you're in good company. One of the closest disciples to Jesus, his name was Thomas. And he sincerely did not understand what God was telling him to do. So Thomas is one of the guys who lived with Jesus for three and a half years. And he sees Jesus crucified and buried. He's dead. And then a couple days later, a bunch of the disciples are saying, oh no, he's alive, he's alive. And here's what Thomas said. It says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But what about what we know about death? But what about what we just saw? We just saw him get crucified and buried. What about that? That's a reasonable question. You know what's funny is the Lord appeared to him. The Lord appeared to him and said, come here, come here, put your finger right here. You want to see it, right? Come here, put your hand right here. God didn't get mad. He didn't shut him down. He didn't say, have more faith. He answered his question because his question was sincere. And many of us have sincere objections and questions. But what about questions that we have inside that we haven't got answers to? And we really are sincerely trying to figure it out. And that's legitimate. That's okay. You can be honest if you have these questions. Another source of the but what about question is it's fear, peer pressure. We are afraid of what people will say if we get too serious about this book right here. But what about Blizzard comes through people because if we start changing the way we spend our time, our money, the way we talk and act, our lifestyle, the people around us are going to be impacted. And pretty soon they're going to start saying, hey, what's up with you? What are you doing? Why are you acting so differently? And if you say, because God told me to, they're going to hit you with all sorts of, yeah, but what about science and religion? But what about all the evil in the world? But what about all those intolerant backwards? I mean, come on, you can't believe this stuff. And we're afraid of the rejection and the anxiety of, what if we don't know what to say? And out of fear of man, we allow our faith to freeze. This happened to one of the, the guys who had some of the biggest faith in history. His name is Moses. And God sent him to Egypt, a country that he had run away from 40 years earlier because he had murdered a guy. In fact, there was an arrest warrant out for him in Egypt. And God said, go back there, go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the entire slave labor population go. Tell him to implode his economy, because I say so. Now, you can imagine, you know, Moses probably didn't think that that was a great idea. And so here's what Moses says to God. Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Moses is focusing on what man's reaction is going to be rather than what God is saying to do. And I can do that too. I can be kind of an undercover Christian at my school. That's very common for high school students and college students in a very secular, very hostile world to kind of just be undercover with their faith. Because what if people start hitting me with this, but what about questions? And I don't have the answer. And then that allows us to just kind of do this right here. And what's happening is if you're a Christian and if you've entered into a covenant with God where he has loved you and sacrificed for you, he wants you to love and sacrifice back. He wants you to trust and obey him. And if you don't, you will miss the provision God has for you, the plan God has for you. And if he is your father and you're heading off in a bad direction, he will begin to discipline you like a good father. That is what the scripture says. God disciplines us like a father. And so we want to make sure that our fear of man doesn't cause us to shrink back. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man, it will prove to be a snare. It will snare you. It will freeze you in your faith. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Safety is not with your friends. Safety is not with your family. Safety is not a look of approval from your professor or your teacher or your boss. Safety 
is doing what God says to do. That's safety. That's what the word of God says. The third source of this storm that blows is stubborn pride. I mean, we just don't want to do what God wants us to do. I've been there. You've been there. The Lord is calling me to make him first. And that means I'm going to have to give up my precious. This thing I like, this thing I think. Or for a lot of us, it's our, honestly, for a lot of us, it's our thinking. We have things we think and say and believe. They've kind of become our identity, a sense of like, you know, credibility in this world. And you read the Bible and it's very different. And it would be humiliating to start to change your mind and to admit you've been wrong. And I don't want to do that because I'm an American. You know what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm 35. Actually, today's my birthday. 36. I'm 36 and I'm not going to start over. I'm not going to be born again. I'm not going to die to my old... Wait a minute, that's what the Bible says. Oh no, did I sign up for this? And as God begins to call me to do things and give things up, I don't want to do it. And I actually like the but what about blizzard. I use the blizzard to hide my true motives. I don't believe it, not because I don't know it and not because I couldn't know it's true. I don't believe it because I don't want to. So I say things like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I do what God says here. But I just got all these questions. I just have all these objections. They just don't make sense to me. And it's not that they don't make sense to you. It's that you don't want to do it. And you're using the objections as kind of this mask for your motives. I know this because this is what I do. And this is what you do. And this is what we do. And so it's stubborn pride. And the problem is, is that when we do that and we shrink back from obeying God, again, we miss out on the good that God has for our life. This is what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh's the guy that Moses was sent to talk to. And Moses said, let these people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I don't know your God. Get out of here. So God began to pour out his wrath on Egypt. And he began to do some miracles to convince Pharaoh that he really did send Moses. And here's what Pharaoh said. Uh, Actually, the first miracle was he turned an entire river into blood. The river that the entire Egyptian economic system was built on got turned to blood. Now, you think that would have convinced Pharaoh. You think that's pretty good evidence, right? I mean, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson would have believed in God at that point. But here's what it says. It says, but the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He got some smart guys around him, and they did just enough of a counterfeit action to assuage his conscience so he could be like, ah, that's not God, that's not God. That's not, that's not God. And it says, Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And instead, he turned away and went back into his palace of power, back to the life that he's comfortable with, and he didn't even take this to heart. We can be just like Pharaoh, just like Pharaoh. We can be stubborn, we can want what we want, and we we invite these but what about questions to mask our true motives because we just don't want to obey God. A third source is Satan. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read the passage that's on your handout, but Satan has been around from the beginning constantly hitting us with blizzards of unbelief to make us doubt God, to disobey God, so that we'll experience the punishment of God that he's under. He hates us and he wants to destroy our faith. And knowing that helps you to get your hands up and helps you to be prepared for these blizzards that are going to blow right about the time God is calling you to trust him. So what do you do when you're caught in a blizzard of unbelief? You have two options. You can keep freezing or you can unfreeze your faith. You can stay where you are not get your answers, not, not make any moves, or you can unfreeze your faith. And for the rest of this message, I'd like to talk about how you can unfreeze your faith with God's help. The first thing you need to do is be honest with God. Just be real with him. If you have doubts, tell God. 
Don't, don't try to be Joe spiritual and pretend like you have it all together. If you go to a Christian school or you're in a Christian family or you've been a part of Church in the Valley for a while or maybe you're a leader at Church in the Valley, don't pretend like you know it all or that you, you need to know it all because you don't. God knows it all. And you can just be honest with God. This doesn't make sense. This has bothered me since I first read it. For years, Lord, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. Would you help me understand it? And God will because he's a father and he loves you. And he's not playing games with you. And he wants to give you answers because he's good. And so you see this all throughout the Bible, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. So here's Mary. She's a teenager. The angel comes to her and says, guess what, Mary? The savior of the human race, you know, the king of kings that God's been promising to send you for 2,000 years, he's coming. And you're the taxi cab. You're going to have a baby. But there's not going to be a man involved. And she's like calculating in her mind, yeah, in my culture, if that happens, you get stoned. Oh, my goodness. And she says, she says, but what about question? Sincerely, listen, she says, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. It doesn't make no sense. And you know what happened? The, the angel didn't slap her. He didn't say, why don't you believe in God? He told her how it was going to happen. He told her because God wants to give you the answer. But she was sincere. She was honest. And we need to be that way about our questions. The second thing we can do to unfreeze our faith is to be honest with God and be honest with the bod. I know, it's corny, but it helps me remember. Be honest with the bod, be honest with God. The bod is the body of Christ. That's the people here at Church in the Valley or whatever church you decide to commit yourself to, plug into and begin to be a part of. God has made us a body. As the children of God, we work together. We ride together, we die together. We grow together, we, we, we shrink together. This body is to work together. And there are people here at Church in the Valley who have the same objections and questions that you do. They're wrestling with the same but whatabouts that you are. They've been there and they've gotten the answers. Or maybe they're there right now and they're looking for them. And if you'll just be where you are, if you won't pretend, if you just let people know what you're really sincerely wondering about the scriptures, God will, will use the body to help you. I've seen this happen here at Church in the Valley. And I want to share just two examples with you. I've asked these two people if I could share their story. Uh, and they said I could. And I'm, I'm sharing it this way just in the interest of time. But I've been, uh, I've been friends with Ryan Brown. Uh, Ryan is uh, the former director of the operations team, and he works in KidZone, and he teaches in uh, Chino at the school district. And Ryan and I have been friends uh, for over a decade. And one of the things I really appreciate about Ryan is he's always been open and honest about the, but what about questions that he's wrestling with? And I've seen him over time work through these questions. And I've seen him go to our pastor and to other people and get resources and to read. And he was telling me not every question is completely answered to his total satisfaction, but there is this point where he had enough information to keep trusting God and take the next step of obedience. And he was telling me just how in the last couple of years he's really seen God's blessing in his life. And God's plan is unfolding in his life because he didn't allow, but what about questions to freeze his faith, but he was honest with the body. We encouraged him to go get answers, and he did. And he's now able to help people. Again, not every answer is completely answered and completely the way he needs, but, but he's gotten enough to know that God can be trusted. Another person is Lindsay Frieden. Lindsay was the uh, director of our nursery, and she now works in KidZone. And her and her husband, Jeff, and my wife and I and our families were at the beach last week. And we were sitting at the beach, and Lindsay was telling Jeff and I about how last year, last year she was in a training program here at Church in the Valley. And uh, she was working on sharing her faith. And she started thinking, but what about these people who seem so far from God, whose lifestyles just don't seem like they could ever put their faith in Jesus Christ, their religious backgrounds, just how could this person ever believe in Jesus? But rather than let that, that, but what about these people questions 
but rather, but rather than letting that freeze her, she went online and she just looked for testimonies on YouTube. She found all sorts of videos of people who had come out of these backgrounds and out of these religious, these religious faiths, who had put their faith in Christ, and she listened to the stories they were telling about what God did to get a hold of their hearts. She was so encouraged, and it kept her going forward so that she knows that she can share with whoever God brings her way. That could have frozen her in her faith, but she didn't let it sit. She took the third step, which is to get answers. And you have got to take that step too. It has never been easier to get answers to the questions that you have than it is today. Can you imagine being a a Christian in the 1300s? You're illiterate. You don't have access to the Bible. All you know about God comes through the priest. You don't have access to any science or, or, or the internet or YouTube. And you have a, but what about question? I mean, what do you do? That's not you. It's 2017. You can get on your phone right now and get articles and podcasts and videos and movies and debates you, you can get the information that you need. And here's the best thing. God promises to help you get the answer to whatever but what about question you're wrestling with. In Proverbs 2, 4 through 6, it says, And if you look for your answer as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God for the Lord will give you wisdom and from his mouth will come knowledge and understanding. You are not dealing with a force. You're not dealing with a principle. You're dealing with a person who loves you, who has all the knowledge and the power to help you get your answer. And I want to show you just how easy it is. <clears throat> in preparing for this message, I got that Tyson clip where he's like, religion and science, you know, crazy people believe in the Bible. It took me five and a half minutes to find a video that just blows him all apart. Now, you might be thinking, it doesn't get blown all apart, but you can go look for it yourself. It's easy. But I want to show you a video that actually shows you that if you look at what the science shows us about the physical universe, it really does line up with the Bible. And maybe this is just a first step for you. But take a look. This is Eric Metaxas. In 1966, Time magazine ran a cover story asking, Is God Dead? The cover reflected the fact that many people had accepted the cultural narrative that God is obsolete that as science progresses, there's less need for a God to explain the universe. It turns out, though, that the rumors of God's death were premature. In fact, perhaps the best arguments for his existence come from, of all places, science itself. Here's the story. The same year Time featured its now famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two necessary criteria for a planet to support life, the right kind of star, and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, that's one followed by 24 zeros, there should have been about septillion planets, that's one followed by 21 zeros, capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, scientists were optimistic that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, known by its initials SETI, an ambitious project launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up something soon. With a vast radio telescopic network, scientists listened for signals that resembled coded intelligence. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe was deafening. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bubkis, not a zilch, which is to say zero followed by an infinite number of zeros. What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were, in fact, far more factors necessary for life, let alone intelligent life, 
than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, then 20, and then 50, which meant that the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem. Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece for Skeptical Inquirer, a magazine that strongly affirms atheism, in light of new findings and insights, we should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For example, without a massive, gravity-rich planet like Jupiter nearby to draw away asteroids, Earth would be more like an interstellar dartboard than the verdant orb that it is. Simply put, the odds against life in the universe are astonishing. Yet, here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfectly met by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that it is science itself that suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions in fact require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds? But wait, there's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces, gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces, were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one of these four values ever so slightly, and the universe as we know it could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest inconceivable fraction, then no stars could have formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. I don't think so. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. One of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. Even the late Christopher Hitchens, one of atheism's most aggressive proponents, conceded that without question the fine-tuning argument was the most powerful argument of the other side. Oxford University professor of mathematics Dr. John Lennox has said, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all time is the universe. It is the miracle of all miracles, one that inescapably points to something or someone beyond itself. I'm Eric Metaxas for Prager University. This is one of thousands and thousands of videos on every conceivable what about question that you could have access to just by looking online. It's never been easier to get answers to these questions. If they're sincere questions and you really want to know, God will help you find them. 
If you share them with God, if you share them with the body, if you look for your answers, eventually you're going to come to the point where you have to make a decision. And that's the fourth step. You're going to have to decide if you have enough information to trust and obey God. And I would just encourage you to look at the cross and look at what God has done to bring you into a relationship with him. Look at the price that he paid out of his great love for you. Look at how far he was willing to go. That person is trustworthy. That person can be risked on, ventured on, bet on. You're never going to have a complete answer to questions you have because you're always going to have that heart that doesn't want to obey. There's always going to be something that can be, yeah, but what about this? But at a certain point, you have to trust God and step out onto the water. And what you will see is as you do, God will take care of you. So if you're honest with, the God, honest with God, you're honest with the body, you look for those answers and you step out in faith, you'll begin to unfreeze your faith. All of this boils down to this. When God calls you to make him your authority, he is telling you to take this book here and build your life upon it. He's telling you to take people who are smart and wise and seem very influential like Darwin, Marx, Freud, Paul Schenkel, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, to take these men and to pour what they say through the scriptures rather than taking what the scripture says and pouring it through what these men say. That is a choice you will have to make. And the choice is basically this. Are you going to live underneath the Bible and allow it to judge you and direct you? Do you trust it as a reliable, credible source of knowledge on every area of life? Or are you going to live over the Bible and you're going to edit it and you're going to cut things out and add things to it based upon what these men or whatever men of whatever age you trust in say. What will be your authority? For those who have trusted God and made the scriptures their authority, they have lived the very best kind of life. And that is what God is offering us. I'd like to invite the band up as I close. And I'd like you to take a look at some of the next steps that you can take to begin to deal with the but what about blizzards that may be blowing in your life. I want to finish with a warning. Just like when you get into a, a crazy weather place, there's a flat flash flood warning or a storm warning or hurricane warning. This is a blizzard warning. The life that you want to live, a life of blessing, of protection, of provision, that comes through trusting and obeying God. So don't let the blizzards of unbelief, the but what about blizzards, freeze your faith. Get the answers that you need. Some next steps that you can take is start by looking for an answer to your biggest but what about question. And share your but what about question with someone else at Church in the Valley. As you're driving home today with someone from the church, uh, just tell them, hey, here's a but what about question I have. Or email somebody or text somebody. Or if you're parents, go home and ask your kids, what are some of their but what about questions when it comes to the Bible? And write them down on a piece of paper. Be open about it so that over time you can work with them through those questions. If it's true, you'll find the truth. We don't have to be afraid of looking for the truth if it's true. The third thing you can do is just trust God and obey him in an area that he's directing you. God is going to call you to make him more of your priority in life. He's going to call you to give him more of your life, to change things. And when he does, trust and obey him and watch God provide for you and take care of you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your word and to look at the things that blow against our faith. We pray, God, that you would give us more faith in you. Help us to get the answers to the questions that we have. Lord God, we, we just pray that you give us faith to be honest with you. And that, Lord, if you are real, and if what you say in the scriptures is true, that you would show us. That you would show us in your way. That you'd give us the wisdom you promised to give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.